In, uh, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus says, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Let's go to him in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you for this church you are building, Lord. And Lord, we just uh, pray as we look into your word this morning that the Holy Spirit would guide us in your truth, that each might find a real blessing today. And may the Lord Jesus Christ be lifted up amongst us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, our, our theme this year, as you can see above my head, unless you're too far back, then these beams kind of get in the way there, but. Our theme this year is renewing our passion for Christ and his church. And, and a passion for the church has been on my mind for a, for a while. Of course, it starts with a passion for Christ. And, uh, you know, I've met many people who say they love Christ, but not the church, right? People say they love Christ, but not the church. I saw where a man wrote to John MacArthur once explaining why he was contemplating conversion to Roman Catholicism. And he said, Protestants don't seem to appreciate the church. The Bible describes the church as an institution Christ founded and loves. The church is everything to Catholics. It's nothing to most of my Protestant friends. Dietrich Bonhoeffer noted that the word church to Protestants has a sound of something infinitely commonplace, more or less indifferent. It does not make the heart beat faster, something with which a sense of boredom is often associated. Ouch, that kind of hurts, doesn't it? Unfortunately, we can see some truth here in what they're saying, indifference about the church, attending and observing without ever really becoming an integral part of the body. You know, where, where has the passion and love for the church gone? Now, don't worry, I'm, I'm not here to try to make anyone feel guilty this morning. In fact, my thought is, what is the church doing wrong that Christians aren't passionate about it? Hmm. <clears throat> Steve Brown, a, a Christian author and seminary professor, said, If there is no laughter, Jesus has gone somewhere else. If there is no joy and freedom, it is not a church. It is simply a crowd of melancholy people basking in a religious neurosis. If there is no celebration, there is no real worship. See, as Christians, we should be passionate about the church because Christ is passionate about the church. And so we want to take some time this morning and look at Ephesians 5. Uh, that we had Ed read for us earlier today, just to see if we can find that relationship between Christ and the church. If we can see that relationship between Christ and his church, I mean the joy and love that he has, maybe we can get passionate about his church. And I know many of you, I can, I can hear the pages turning. You're already to Ephesians chapter 5, and you're looking at the headings in your Bible, right? And you're saying, but... Wait a minute, this section's about the marriage relationship. Yes, it's often used to show couples how a marriage relationship should be before God. However, 
I believe you can flip this and see how Paul is telling us just how much Christ loves the church. And he's just using a marriage relationship as an analogy that people would understand. You know, Jesus was really a master at that, wasn't he? He would use the common everyday stuff of life to demonstrate biblical truth. And I think that's what Paul's doing here. I mean, if you jump down in chapter 5 to verse 32, Paul said, This mystery is great, but I am speaking in reference to Christ and the church. So through all this, he wants you to know, hey, he's talking about this relationship between Christ and the church, right? See, I think Paul wants us to know that as Christians, we should be passionate about the church because Christ is passionate about the church. But before we get into the love and joy that Christ has for his church, we need to make sure we know just what the church is. I mean, is it this building we come to every Sunday? I mean, is it this place we're in right now that Christ loves so much? I saw where there was a certain congregation that was about to erect a new church edifice. You know, They wanted to build a new church. And so the building committee got together several times, and they came up with these four resolutions. We shall build a new church. The new building is to be located on the site of the old one. The material in the old building is to be used in the new one, and we shall continue, continue to use the old building until the new one is completed. Think about that. In 1 Peter 2, 5, Peter says, You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are the living stones that make up the church. So wherever or whenever you meet together, that is the proper nucleus and, and focal point of spiritual life and worship. That is the church. Paul told the Corinthians in, in 2 Corinthians 6.16, he says, Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You are the church of the living God. He dwells in you. His presence is right here with you this morning. He is your God. You are His people. You are the church. So the church, we see, is really, it's the body of Christ. It's you, it's me. We're the church. So who does this church belong to? Who's building it? Since we are the church, does that mean that your church belongs to us? And that's being built by our labor. Well, you remember Matthew 16, 18 I opened up with? This, that's a situation where Jesus Christ was talking to his disciples. And he was asking them, well, who do people say that I am? And, you know, they said, well, some think you're Elijah or one of the prophets, you know. Well, then he turned around and said, who do you say that I am? And, of course, Peter stepped up and said, you are the Christ the Son of the living God. And it was after that 
that Jesus looked at Peter and says, good job, now go out and build yourself a church. Right? Wait, no, that's, that's not what he said, is it? He says, I will build my church. Jesus said it was his church, and he was the one building it. If we <clears throat> just turn back a couple of chapters in our book of Ephesians we're in, in chapter 2, 19 through 22 says this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord and whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. The church belongs to Christ. Back in our Ephesians 5 passage, verse 23 says, Christ also is head of the church. This Ephesians 2 passage I just read says that Christ is the cornerstone. It is in Him that the, the whole building, the whole body of Christ, the whole church, is being fit together by his hand. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 21, 42, Did you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the key, chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Christ is our cornerstone. <clears throat> I read a story this past week of a man who grew up on the Atlantic coast. And he said, as a, as a kid, I spent long hours working on intricate sandcastles. I mean, whole cities would appear beneath my hands. Now, one year, for several days in a row, I was accosted by bullies who smashed my creations. Finally, I tried an experiment. I placed cinder blocks, rocks, and chunks of concrete at the base of my castle. <laughs> Then I built the sand kingdoms on top of that rocks. And when the local tufts appeared, and I disappeared, their bare feet suddenly met their match. You know, the church is built on a solid rock as well. Many people see the church in, in grave peril from a variety of dangers, you know. Secularism, politics, her heresies, just plain old sin. But they forget that the church is built upon a rock over which the gates of hell itself shall not prevail. And if we, since we're in looking through the book of Ephesians, let's jump to chapter 1 and look at verses 22 and 23. It says, And he put all things in subjection under his feet. And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is what the Father did for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our head. We are his body. And it is Jesus Christ that decides the direction of the church. You know, when the leadership of this body meets together, it's not to decide what we want to see done. But through prayer and the word of God, we want to know what the direction God wants this church to go. 
because it's his church. Now, have you ever seen it the other way around? You know, where it seems like the body of Christ is seeking their, their own desires and then asking God to bless them. It's, it's like, have you, have you ever put your face above a, a headless frame that's painted to represent something like a, a muscle man, or maybe a clown, a bathing beauty, you know? Many of us, we've, we've taken those pictures, right? The photos are humorous. Of course, they're funny because the head doesn't match the body. Think about this. If we could picture Christ as the head of our local body of believers, would the world laugh at its misfit? Or would they stand in awe of a human body so closely related to a divine head? Christ is our head. And as Christians... We should be passionate about the church because Christ is passionate about the church. So the church, the body of Christ, that's us. Christ is the head. And it is Christ who is building the church. And it's a work in progress. You know, he has not stopped building the church. You You know how I know this? People are still being saved. Right? 1 Corinthians 12, 18 tells us that when you are saved, God places you in the church as He desires. So you're here because God placed you in the church. Now maybe there's someone here that says, yeah, but I haven't accepted Christ. Well, then you're here because the Holy Spirit of God is moving. (laughs) Maybe you're here because you wonder, well, what's this Christian thing or church thing all about? Well, that's good. Because we're going to see this morning just how much Jesus loves you and loves the church. So let's look at our Ephesians 5 portion of scripture that we want to look at this morning and use. Verse 25, Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ loves the church. And so if we call ourselves Christians, that means we're followers of Christ. And if we are followers of Christ, we should love the church as he does. Christ is our example, right? That's who we're following. And the importance of Christ's love cannot be overemphasized. It is a sacrificial love. He says he gave himself up for the church. Now this, this saving work is really described in terms of sanctify and cleansing. Verse 26 says, So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water in the word. See, sanctify means set apart. right? The church is set apart from all the rest, set apart for God. Not to exclude the rest, but to be a strong witness of the love and grace of God. John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus gave us a command. He said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So we're the body of Christ, the church. And if Jesus loves the church, that means... He loves you and me, right? 
And if Jesus loves us, then we should love each other. That's what he's saying. He goes on in verse 35 to say, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. When people look at a church who is passionate and loving as Christ is passionate and loving, then they're drawn to God, drawn to that church, God's glorified. <clears throat> so we're set apart, not because we're better than anyone else, but just because he has cleansed us by the washing of water with the word. In other words, he's covered our sin with his blood on the cross. We are cleansed not by water. That just kind of gives you a picture of what's going on here. But by the word, he covers us. And that word is the gospel. You ever want to know, well, how do I tell someone the gospel in a nutshell? Always look at 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose on the third day according to the scriptures. This sanctification and cleanses, it's for a purpose, right? Verse 27 says in chapter 5 of Ephesians says that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Christ loves the church so much that his desire is to present us glorious, holy, blameless, right? Now, I know there's probably not too many of us in this, this morning who would, uh, you know, raise our hands and say, yeah, that's me. I'm perfect and holy and blameless, right? <laughs> And you know what? Being set apart of the church will not automatically make you perfect. I heard someone say to me once that, uh, you know, if you find a perfect church, don't join it. Because then it won't be perfect anymore, see? But this is where Christ's love comes in, okay? In verses 29 and 30, Paul says, For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. Christ, Christ does not just take uh, these new believers, place them in a church, and say, all right, go, be a good example of me. It says he nourishes us because he cherishes us. See, he's not only building the church by adding new members to the church, but he's building up the church by molding us into a holy and glorious body for himself. His representative to a lost world. Why? Because we're members of his body, the church, right? And Jesus is passionate about and loves the church because you are the church. And he is passionate about and loves you. I think Paul was right. It really is a profound and great mystery. That Jesus would place himself a perfect and spotless Lamb of God as head over an imperfect body of believers, the church. And love and cherish us all the same. 
So what does it mean for us today? What does all this mean about Christ's relationship to the church? Well, to start with, it means as Christians we should be passionate about the church because Jesus is passionate about the church, right? Think you guys remember that phrase when we leave here tonight? No, thanks. See, being a part of a local church, it's a gift. It's it's something to treasure. So be thankful for it. It's an opportunity to be in the body of believers who is being cherished and nourished by Christ himself. And you know, the church, being a part of the church, a really active, uh, holy, glorious body that Christ wants, starts with attitude, our attitude. I read an account once uh, of two different people going to go try out a church, you know. So the first person goes to the church she wants to try out, and here's what she said about this church. The people were friendly and greeted her. The music was wonderful. It lifted her spirit to the Lord. The preaching was a powerful message from the Word of God, and she could just feel the presence of God in that church. This other person, the church he went to, he said, well, other than a quick high, no one really seemed interested in him. The music was kind of boring. I mean, how could anyone listen to that every week? Preaching didn't do much for him. He just thought it was a waste of time. Now tell me, which church would you like to be a part of? You hope you're in that church that first person was talking about when they visited, right? <laughs> Well, here's the thing. Did you know they both went to the exact same worship service? Exact same church. What made the difference? It was their attitude, their perspective coming into the church. Why were they coming there? Were they coming because they wanted to go into the presence of God and worship Him? Or were they coming because, hey, I need to, I want my needs met. Our attitude should be a unifying church attitude. In Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 3, Paul says this. He says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. <clears throat> so how can we be that unifying Spirit uh, for the church? By uh, starts by each of us being sacrificial. By us being prayerful. By us being joyful. So, you see, my attitude should be, well, this is Christ's church. He is the head. He's building it. And, man, I am blessed to be a part of it. That's what we should be going in. And so once we have that attitude right as we go into the church, the next question is, do we love to worship with one another? Uh, in Acts chapter 2, 46 and 47, Luke's talking about 
given an example of what the first church looked like, the early church. It said, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. They were praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their member, to their number day by day those who were being saved. See, when people, I think when people see a church where the body of Christ truly loves to worship together, to just be together, it draws those people to them. And as Acts told us, hey, you have a church like that, people will be saved. They see something they want. And that is, you know, that's what really drew Cheryl and I to this church some 30 plus years ago. We came, you know, we, we both came from Dallas, and, and we, when we moved up here to Louisville, for a while we would we'd go back into Dallas to church, you know, but that's a long way, especially since it was on the east side of Dallas. It's a long way to go, and you start getting good excuses why you can't drive that far on a Sunday morning. So we decided, you know, we, we've got to find a local church, something, something close to us. And we were at a Bible church there in Dallas, so we, hey, there's Louisville Bible Church down there, let's go there. So we started coming. And what was really, what really drew me to the church, yes, they were very friendly people and we were welcomed in. But every time we would go, it didn't matter what meeting, whether it was a morning worship service, and back then it had a Sunday evening service, a Wednesday night prayer, wherever, whenever they got together, what I saw was a group of people who just loved to be together. They just loved it, getting together and worshiping God. Getting together and just fellowship, having fun time. Getting together and just serving, you know. They loved being together. So I have to look, what's my attitude as I come to the church? Is it the right one? Because I feel blessed to be a part of a church that Jesus Christ is head and is building. Do I love to worship together? Just be together. Nothing. That's <laughs> people probably wonder. Man, the way your voice sounds. Why did you come up here? And I just love worshiping with guys. Even though my voice wasn't very strong in singing this morning, that's okay. It was fun hearing you guys sing. Do we love being together? And of course, another thing, really imperative, we need to realize we must do, and that's serve in the church. We need to have the same mind of Christ. You know, in, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25 through 28, this is where, you know, some of the disciples were arguing a little bit about, well, who's going to be first in the Hey, I want to be at this high place in the kingdom, right? And here's what Jesus said. He says, but Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We need the mind of Christ, a servant attitude. 
Paul told the Philippian church in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Christ wants us to serve others, especially in the church. I look, maybe, maybe y'all came up with more from what I understand and looking at different people who have studied it. There's at least about 59 one another verses in the Word of God here. 59 verses telling us do something for somebody else. So we need to ask ourselves, what's, what's my attitude coming to church? Do I feel blessed I'm in the place that God is building and working? Do I love to worship together and just be together with the church? And do I find my joy in serving the church? Tom Rainier, a Christian author, he, he said this, Church membership does not mean we have privileges and perks. God placed us in churches to serve, to care for others, to pray for leaders, to learn, to teach, to give, and in some cases, to die for the sake of the gospel. What's my attitude? Do I love getting together with the body of Christ and worshiping Him? Do I find joy in serving? It's not something I well, I got to do this. No, something we find joy. You know, there's a lot of other aspects of the church we can look at, but the most important thought for us today is, as Christians, we should be passionate about the church because Jesus is passionate about the church. Of course, if you've never come to Christ for salvation... Never put your faith or trust in Christ for your future. And you're not a part of the church. But you know what? You can be before you leave here this morning. I've already told you what the gospel is. But what you have to do, and you can do that this morning. You just go to the Lord. And see, you have to do it. Nobody can do it for you. But if you'll just go to him and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. God's word says we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And I thank you that Jesus Christ came down, lived that sinless life, went to the cross and died, taking on my sin, taking my place. And so, Lord, just say, I, I put my faith and trust in you. And you know what? You will be a child of God when you walk out of here. You will be a part of the church. See, Christ is building his church, and he's placing all believers in the church. And there he has sanctified and cleansed the body of believers. And now he is nourishing those believers, and he's building them up so they can shine a light into an unbelieving world. See, me, I love the church. I just love the church. It, it's a place where I can worship the Lord with with fellow believers, with all you guys, it's, it's just a joy to me. It's a place where I find encouragement and strength. And so I pray that you will fall in love with the church as well. Not because it's perfect, but because as Christians, we should be passionate about the church because Christ is passionate about the church. 
See, the church needs you, and the world needs the church. Let's close in prayer.